Hey friends, I'm Stacy and I'm Liz and we love chatting about teen books. What makes our podcast a little different is that we want to encourage your curiosity beyond the book. So how will we do that? Well, each month we'll feature one book and discuss its highlights. You know, the things that made us love it. We'll also share the things that didn't knock our socks off. And then we'll explore what the book taught us and how it inspired a curiosity of information well after the story finished. So now let's get on with our episode. Listeners, this is the Curious Reader Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we are so happy you joined us. And if you're one of our faithful listeners, please take the time to review us on Podbean or in your favorite podcast listening app. Your likes and reviews help us out greatly, plus it helps others find our program. And if you enjoy what we have to say, please take the time to let us know and, of course, tell your friends. All right, the book we're discussing today is Renee Watson's Love is a Revolution. However, before Liz and I share our spoiler-free review of the book, let's talk a bit about the history of young adult fiction. So in researching a prior episode for the podcast, I stumbled upon a blog post at epicreads.com, and it really got me thinking about this designation of young adult fiction. I don't remember having a like YA section when I visited the library. Granted, I am a bit older. Uh, but when I was younger, I don't remember that section very much. Uh, and when I saw the list of on Epic Reads of the early YA fiction, I was a little bit confused because I saw titles that I thought were part of um, adult sections, not like I didn't really think they were YA. Um, so let me give a brief history and then we'll, you know, we'll discuss and canoodle a bit about this. All right. Brief history. Here we go. So we can thank librarians for the term young adult as it applied to teenagers 12 to 18 years old. And the Young Adult Library Services Association was created in 1957 and it had a slightly different title. But during a major reorganization within the American Library Association, that's where they started to uh, bring out this section of young adult. So the teens were being served at their libraries, but they didn't exactly have their own books. Um, so apart from a few exceptions, you know, like Catcher in the Rye, which I've never read, but I will because everyone's giving me a hard time about it. Anyway, it weirdly comes up a lot. It does. And like my <laughs> husband even asked me about it last night and he's like, oh, and I'm like, no, I never read that. He's like, what? And he doesn't even like to read books. And he was all <laughs> over me about it. So uh, I, anyway, moving on. But um, young people in their adolescence had to jump straight to books written for adults. And I think that that's probably exactly what I did. Except when I was looking at the brief history, it actually says the history started like in the 1970s. And, you know, I'm more like a 1980s girl, but I still don't remember YA being it's a designation. What's your thoughts, Liz? Well, um, I am younger than Stacy, um, (laughs) but I am older than most of our listeners. Uh, So I don't know. I might have a slightly different point of view on this, Um, but... I, I mean, I remember there being a teen section in the Bedford Public Library uh, when I was growing up. Um, but uh, I was talking to Stacy, and I was saying that I don't remember really going to that section a lot. I have two weirdly specific memories about taking out two different books 
um, <laughs> from that teen section. But mostly what I remember is going straight towards the adult, like, fantasy and sci-fi section and just, like, reading my way through those shelves. Um, so I'm not really sure how that works. And I, I think it's different from the way we talk about and designate YA right now. Yeah. Um, I also, I totally agree that the books listed on that website as being like, you know, uh, these are outstanding in the field of YA like throughout time was really surprising to me because there are many books that specifically I'm, I, as far as I'm aware, were written for adults. Yeah. And it's sort of like only in later years that like history was sort of rewritten and they're like, no, they're for teens. Uh, like The Crystal Cave by yep. Mary Stewart. It was really surprising to me that that was on there. Um, and then on the flip side of that, like as you go through the years, there is also there were also a ton of titles that like I wouldn't call YA. I would actually designate those as middle grade. Middle grade. Exactly. Middle grade being like, um, you know, like that step below teen, you know, middle school age, essentially. Like, for example, uh, Goosebumps is on that Yeah, that list. was a, at the top of my head. Goosebumps yeah. was on there. And Babysitter's Clubs, too. And, you know, so granted, I understand, like, maybe their age, and that was like 13 on the cusp of the teen. But really, it's still, to yeah. me, was a younger. And we have those books. Like, those books are shelved in the children's section in middle grade in yeah. the Goffstown Public Library. Um, so it was just like a really interesting mix of books and sort of until you get to the very modern, like the, the 2010s, yeah. basically, like 2000s, 2010s, really, when it's like what we think about when we think YA now. And that's what I think my brain thought of was like that 2000, like Hunger Games time, too, like when, uh, you know, yeah. when that kind of came out. And so I was like, oh, this must be when. So I was a little, uh, yeah, I was a little shocked. Like Flowers in the Attic was one of, one of the ones that said it was a YA book. And I was like. I know I read it as a teen only because I was laying around my house and I picked it up. But I'm not sure that that is a book that's targeted at teens. And so how did that make that YA list? And then to go from Flowers in the Attic to then, and in the 1980s and 1990s, we're going to put in Goosebumps and Sweet Valley High. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like, Those just... are Goosebumps and um, Flowers in the Attic have two extremely yeah. different audiences. Um, so that was really weird to learn. I, and I mean, it was very interesting. I'd certainly kicked off me and Stacey talking about this a we lot. Did. We did talk about it a lot. <laughs> we, we won't go into all of it no. on here. But you know, another thing was like, um, you know, so Judy Bloom was Judy Bloom, especially her book, um, Forever, was one that I remember reading as, um, as a teen. And so I thought it would be interesting to maybe go back and read some of those books and kind of compare them to what we see as YA today. I, I don't know, that might be an interesting thing to do or to pick one for a pod, the podcast and be like, hey, yeah, I, I sort of had the same impulse. Um, there were books that I read and thought that I've always thought of as like, Again, middle grade. Mm -hmm. Like, I believe that I read those in middle school. I wasn't really thinking about them in high school. Books that I loved very much, and but I just never thought of them as young adult. I thought of them as, like, the older end of children's. Yeah. Um, but then thinking back on them for this specific podcast, I was like, oh, wait, there are some, there's some very mature themes there. Like, yeah. And things that I wouldn't expect to see in the middle grade that's being published currently, like themes that I wouldn't really see in the books downstairs, dealing with like relationships and first times yeah. and, you know, all sorts of things. So now I am also really curious to like go back and read these books that I loved but didn't think too hard about when I was in middle <laughs> school <laughs> and maybe like compare and contrast them with, you know, like something that's sort of on that level, level. of at least yeah. popularity that's been published today. 
I, I, I definitely saw. Um, I'm kind of interested in doing that. I am. I did read in some of my research about um, young adult that there was a time period, and I forget what um, what time it was, but I'm, I wish I had um, bookmarked where I read it, but there was a period of time where the... 12 to 18, there was not a lot of 12 to 18 years old. So they actually thought the um, designation was going to go away because that group was a small dynamic in the grand scheme of population within the U.S. I right. can't there, remember what time it was. There weren't many teens. There weren't many teens. And so I think maybe that's where they went to the middle. Like they started bringing in those middle grade, maybe? possibly, I think, maybe. Well, Another thing that I won't go as deeply into as I've, you know, ranted at Stacy about is so like for me growing up, I loved like fantasy, fantasy mm-hmm. and science fiction. And I know that there is a trend historically, at least to market like, especially like high fantasy, like stuff with like princes and princesses and elves and goblins uh, yeah. to kids rather than adults. So you end up getting, you know, stuff like um, well, the Crystal Cave. Um, yeah. And a lot of books that, like, I read as a kid were marketed towards younger than I would expect now. And I think possibly at least part of that was because they were, you know, like fantasy books. Yeah. Um, While we're talking about books from this list and this website that we really loved, I would just love to do a quick plug for, like, 1984's (laughs) The Hero in the Crown by Robin McKinley. If you love fantasy, that's a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it. I'm going to reread it probably this weekend. This weekend. And I this know weekend. the other thing um, Liz has said is that she is going to pick a book for this podcast that is high <laughs> fantasy. And I told her to bring it on. It's not my favorite, but we'll see how we do. And, and you know, I am really excited to have a podcast episode that's like, let's introduce Stacy to fantasy. <laughs> um, and I would love to pick like a really popular current high fantasy book. So something that takes place in a like a complete fantasy world like has nothing to do with our world mm. so if you are a listener yes and you would like to leave in the comments uh suggestions for your favorite book of this type i would love to make stacy read it that sounds good i'm a little <laughs> scared you know the the problem will be i'll probably be like i didn't really understand the world building like where what was happening what was going on here i get confused a little easily <laughs> maybe that's why i don't just focus on the focus, characters focus. It's okay characters characters all characters. All right. Well, that is our little talk there. If there is a book that also you think um, from, if you go to epicreads.com and you look up history of YA and you see anything on those that maybe, you know, you would like us to feature in the podcast, some of those older books, we'd love to hear that as well. Otherwise, we probably will just pick one and then talk about it anyway. But <laughs> Also, so, if you want to talk more about this uh, with us, clearly we both have a lot of yeah, feelings, like a surprising amount of feelings. Uh, so if you happen to be in the library and that's your jam, we would love to talk about this with you. We would. We do definitely, definitely would. All right. So let's get on to our book today then. Like I said, it is Renee Watson's Love is a Revolution. And if you have not read it, here's a quick rundown of what it is about. So 17-year-old Nala Robertson is a black girl who lives in Harlem with her cousin and her aunt and uncle. It is summertime, and Nala is looking forward to the summer break from school. She has a summer bucket list to complete, and actually, in the beginning of the book, it just has three things on it. Find a new hairstyle, spend time with her cousin, Amani, and their mutual best friend, Sadie, and now this is the big one, find love. 
So our story opens with Amani's birthday. Nala has promised she will do whatever Amani wants for her birthday. And Amani, remember that it's Nala's cousin, is an environmental activist for a group called Inspire Harlem. And she wants to celebrate her birthday attending a talent show that that group is putting on. Uh, that's really not Nala's thing. She actually would prefer to maybe, you know, binge watch, uh, eat some popcorn, you know, really kind of enjoy her summer that way. But she loves her cousin and agrees to go. Enter Ty Brown. He is the host and MC for the Open Mic Night. Ty is also an activist, and he's the newest member of Inspire Harlem. Well, when Nala sets her eyes on tight, she, Ty, excuse me, she is immediately ready to profess her love. And when they get the chance to talk, Nala starts telling Ty that she too is active in the community, volunteering as an activities coordinator at a local home for the elderly. Well, that's not exactly the truth. So, um, you know, she does spend time with her grandmother and her grandmother's friends doing puzzles and, you know, that type of stuff. But that's not really, I think, what Ty is thinking when she says that, you know, she's a coordinator at an elderly home. So they start spending more time together. And soon that one small lie turns into a few more small lies. And Nala starts to question whether Ty only likes this false persona she has created. Or does he really like the real Nala? And does he really even know her? And to further complicate things, the relationship with her cousin is beginning to unravel. Um, so this may not be the summer break that Nala is hoping for. So there was a lot to love about this book. And I will tell you, there's a lot of lists in this book. And I love the list because it's like a journaling and, uh, and uh, you know, putting your thoughts out there. And I am constantly writing down stuff and making lists everywhere. So I really felt like a connection uh, with with Nala with that. So mm. I really I really love that. Uh, yeah, each chapter starts off with a different list. Yes. And the list is featured, like, it, they're lists of different things. Yeah. There's no, like, themes to the list. And no. I will admit, uh, well, I'm the sort of person who makes a list and then immediately loses it. Um, so, uh, but, so I was skeptical at first. Yeah. I wasn't so into the idea of the list. But as the book goes on, I really liked how more and more of the story, like of Nala's background, mm -hmm. of her inner thoughts were sort of revealed through the lists. Yeah. So they become less of like, you know, just like quirky chapter headings and more like important to the story. And I really enjoyed that. Me too. So let's talk about our hits and misses then. We're going to start with our hits. Go ahead, Liz. What did you love? So... Uh, well, I, I also really like this book. I thought it was great. And I will admit, I do not read a lot of contemporary romance. Mm -hmm. I don't read a ton of contemporary books because, again, I keep saying it. I just really love <laughs> fantasy and science fiction and also historical fiction. So for me to read something that's set in the present day with, like, no twist um, is somewhat unusual. But that said, I ended up really enjoying this book, yes. even though I went into it with a lot of healthy skepticism. And... She's I so think... kind to me, people, when I bring a book over. I'm going, how about this book? And then <laughs> She's like, do you want this one or this one? And I'm like, neither. Uh, You're like, they're both the same. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> but um, so what I, I think the reason that I ended up liking this book is because that Nala herself is also skeptical mm -hmm. going into things. She just wants to basically sit around and have a good time, which I fully support. Um, and so the book sort of takes her on a journey to looking at not just 
you know, these issues and this activism that her cousin and her new crush are super into, but sort of evaluating those things for herself. Yeah. What is she interested in? What does she believe? What does she feel passionate about? And how does she like act in the world in a way that demonstrates that? And, and I think it's also a balance. It's so in some of this, um, when you read the story, you'll judgmental is probably not the nicest word to, to use, but, but sometimes those that were in the group, um, inspire Harlem. They, you know, definitely had strong feelings about mm-hmm. whether you used a plastic water bottle and, and I, you know, talked down to people that didn't have that same passion for, um, you know, taking care of the environment in the same way. And Nala understood that that it was good to recycle and good to do these things, but she wanted to find balance. It wasn't, you know, it, you can only do this and right. you have to, you know, hit somebody over the head with it and um, constantly make them feel bad about it, kind of. And I think we can all sort of empathize with that, yeah. right? Like feeling judged about our choices that we know aren't the greatest, but we also know that we can't be perfect human beings all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um. So... Basically, what I liked about this book was the nuance in it. It was presented all of these these issues that we're talking, both issues with capital I and issues with little I, <laughs> with little. Um, are presented really well and with a lot of nuance. Yeah. Um, so I think, like, even though many of the characters are activists, are you know, Nala really isn't. She, like we said, she believes in what they're saying. She's mm-hmm. just not as committed. Like, it's not part of her identity the yeah. way it is for them, and she's trying to define her own identity. Um, and so. The book touches on that, like, yes, getting involved and doing these things for your community and trying to address all of these, like, unjust structures that, like, make up our culture are mm-hmm. important, like, hugely important. Yes. But at the same time, we shouldn't devalue the work that we're already doing, like, the work that we do within our families, with for our community. The smaller mm-hmm. things that we do also matter. And like Stacy said, it's balance, right? You can't yeah. be always thinking at the bigger picture you also have to focus on the like the small local things that you can control and you also can't always focus on the small things you have to eventually take a step back and see the larger structure of it so it's all about nuance and it's all about balance and defining for yourself what is right and how to act in a way that demonstrates that to the world yeah yeah very good so yeah, I, I agree with that. That was also a hit for me. Um, and especially that no one, especially the part that no one person seemed to have it all together um, in the book and that self-exploration, self-reflection, self-growth, self-love is part of life and becoming well-rounded, healthy, you know, human. Um, I particularly found the teen cast of females in this book were refreshing. They were all strong, intelligent, and driven. And oftentimes when you have a teen book and you have like a teen triangle of two girls vying for the same guy, I always, you know, I kind of feel like one of the girls is the most popular, but she's not very brainy and, you know, and all she cares about is her looks and her money. And, um, and then, and then sometimes too, you have the protagonist who, you know, is just meek and shy. And I feel like on both sides here, we had women that were strong and they were smart oh, yeah. and, you know, so it didn't have that trope that you usually have. Oh, 100%. Yeah. There, yeah. there was a bit of a triangle, but yeah, uh, both women involved, at least, were very powerful and They're, had, like, big exactly. personalities and knew what they wanted. What they wanted. And, and also, I liked that. Yeah. And also understood that this love triangle wasn't, like, the center of their being. Exactly. 
The next thing I really liked about the book was the setting. Uh, I feel like I end up talking about talking about the setting uh, a lot in these podcasts. I feel like I've talked about it in each podcast. Um, so maybe I'm just a setting girl. But I really did enjoy the setting in this book. The book was set in Harlem, uh, so in New York City. And it's the neighborhood that Nala grew up in, that her family lives in, mm -hmm. that all her friends live in, that she goes to school in. And I think what I liked about it was how normal it felt. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times when you're reading a book that's set in New York City or really any place that's super famous, um, I feel like very often it feels like every scene is, you know, taking place at a different like tourist location. Like, or maybe I'm just thinking too hard about like Dash and Lily. Um, <laughs> Which you mentioned when we were talking yeah, about I this too. I that did. was the one you but mentioned. Like, you know, like, oh, you turn the corner and like, oh no, we're having this pivotal story moment like in Times Square. Yeah. Like, oh look, your prom is in the crown of the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> uh, and this book did not do that. It presented like Harlem and New York City as just like a very normal, relatable place to yeah. live. Um, you know, Nala likes to hang out with her friends. She likes to go see movies in the park sometimes. She likes to sit around her house and watch TV. Mm -hmm. And turns out you can do all of those things, even if you live in New York City, uh, which was kind of lovely to see portrayed. And I really enjoyed it, uh, which is not to say that I don't. I, I really also enjoyed the New Yorkiness of it all. I, mm -hmm. I do tend to. I, I really like New York City. And I think that sometimes that's really important to the plot of a book. But in here, I feel like it would have been besides the point. Yeah. You know, I. I really enjoyed the natural storytelling as well. And, and I didn't grow up in a city and then nevertheless, not even, you know, New York City, I've visited a couple times, but I felt like I could relate to um, Nala's day to day on a different level. And, and that is the nostalgia of hanging out with my friends in summertime, you know, I, and, you know, the places that we ate, the stores we stopped in or the parks that we visited are not the same as Nala's, but we had those places as well. We, you know, would walk to our local fast food place. We had spe a specific bowling alley that we frequented. Um, and similar to how Nala and Ty go to, um, what is it, the Brooklyn Bridge Park to mm -hmm. watch uh, movies outside for the summer, um, I would watch plays outdoors in Portsmouth, a local seaport town. So I kind of felt like, hey, that was kind of how my summer was too. And I could relate to that part. The other thing that I thought was great, though, because I did not grow up in a city, and actually I grew up quite in a, in New Hampshire in the, you know, the backwoods, I guess, um, with lots of acres between people, and it's more developed now, but at the time, you know, if you did not have your parents home, you were not going anywhere because you needed somebody <laughs> to drive you if you didn't have your license yet. I loved just the experience in this book of Nala being able to just get on a train, like get on the subway and be like, we're going here and this is our stop and we're stopping here. And here's what, you know, I, yeah. that was like really cool to me because I didn't never, I have not experienced that, but it just sounded awesome. So I liked yeah, that. Yeah, I do really wonder like what it would be being a teen in a place where you yeah. have the freedom to go anywhere in the city. Yeah. You know, all you need is your Metro card and you can go wherever you want. You don't need a car. Yeah, that was, I don't know, that was pretty, pretty cool to me to experience that and something that I've not been able to experience. Um, and the book made it relatable. Like I didn't feel like I had right. no clue what you were talking about. Um, right. In the which same way that you'd like, you would go with your friends and like stroll down the street. Yeah. I don't know, to the library. Uh, Nala could just Hang like, out walk out her door <laughs> and hop on the train and, you know, be in Brooklyn. Yeah. And actually the open mic night that they went to happened to be at a library, which was That's pretty awesome. True. Yeah. You know, we always like that in there. The County Cullen branch of the New York Public yeah. Library. Which we'll talk about later. We will. So another big hit for me was the positive portrayal of diversity of body size in this book. And again, it wasn't a huge focus, 
But what was spoken about was so positive and it just really stuck out. So Nala is a plus-size teen, but it's not the focus of the book, like I said. And she is self-confident in her size. She felt beautiful in her body. And when we talk about the self-love that she works on finding, it really has nothing to do with her outward appearance at all. Um, And she boldly accepts and loves her outward beauty. And there's a part in the book that I really, really loved where she's uh, speaking with Ty. And I'm going to read it. It's on page 173. And so, you know, Ty... Anyway, Ty shifts his body and faces me. What do you have to be insecure about? You're beautiful. Please don't say beautiful. But you are. I know. Ty laughs and I give in to the laugh too. I'm serious though. People always think that the only thing big girls cry about is our weight. I'm perfectly fine with my body. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I know you didn't, I tell him. And thanks for apologizing. I give him a kiss on his cheek. I don't mind you telling me I'm beautiful. Just tell me because you see it, not because you think I don't know. And I love that because she knows she's beautiful. And yeah. she she doesn't need somebody else telling her that, like like that she's insecure about it. But you're, you know, you're beautiful. It was, Wait, you know. She doesn't need reassurance. She doesn't. She just enjoys a compliment. Yeah. Um, no, and I, this is something I really enjoyed about the book too. Like as a plus size person myself, I always really enjoy representation that, isn't the focus of the plot. Yep. I like to say, like, I, you know, I love representation in a character. Um, and, you know, being plus size, being larger can affect her character. It can affect, like, who she is, mm-hmm. how she exists in the world. But, like, it doesn't always need to be the focus of the plot. Right. She can have other things going on. Yeah. Uh, and that was very much evident in this book. Like, she is just going about her life, and it's not really a plot point, and it's fantastic. Yeah. Like, that is, that part that Stacey read was basically, like, the most that it comes up in the book. Exactly. And, and you know, when she's dressing, and she's getting dressed to go to, uh, you know, out on a date, or out to the open mic, or, or whatever else, like, there's just confidence in everything that she yeah. pulls out, and just like, am I going to wear this one? Am I going to wear this yeah. one? This one, you know. <laughs> she loves to get she dressed up, and, it. like, wear cool outfits, yeah. and it's never... A problem. She's it's never like, exactly. are people going to judge me if I wear this? No, she just... Oh, this doesn't fit. Oh, right. this doesn't look good. You know, she's she was just, just deciding what she wants to wear. Yeah. And I, I don't know. That was just so refreshing. And I really, really love that in this book. Um, I had other, uh, you know, other hits too. And we're going to talk a little bit about like her grandmother. I loved her grandmother and I loved her grandmother's friends. I don't know. <laughs> she she visits the... Um, her grandmother lives in a... Um, an elderly home or retirement home and she has a group of other friends that live there as well and like Nala goes and kind of spends time with them and she's Nala's big on family and that's the other thing that's in here is is a huge family component yes I really enjoyed her relationships with everyone in her family they were some of them were complicated um, but they were always really strong and it was never like it was just an assumption that she would you know go to this family party that she would do this um, it wasn't like a, an obligation. It wasn't something she felt mm-hmm. that she had to do. It was just like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course I'll go hang out and do a puzzle with my grandma for a couple hours. Like, right. that sounds fun. I love my grandma. Yeah. And I think that's some of her struggle. Um, that becomes actually the struggle between her and her cousin, um, Amani, also, because, you know, um, Inspire Harlem takes up a lot of time for Amani. And I think Nala is kind of like, hey, you know, you're supposed to be with family. Like, you're, yeah. you know, why aren't you at these things? So. It goes back to that idea of balance, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, Inspire Harlem is important. Your family is important, important. also. Yeah. And you can do both of those things and have them, but you have to be deliberate about it. Yeah, definitely. 
So, some misses. Did we have any misses? We had some misses. Or okay. I had some misses. I actually don't think you had any misses. <laughs> do I ever have misses? No, I do but have misses. Actually, I not... did think of one later on. I have a miss later. All right. Good. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but they weren't huge. They didn't yeah. take away from my enjoyment of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, they were just small things that Little bugged blips. me. Yeah. For example, um, the reveal of uh, Nala's big secret. The lies. So, like, yeah, Yeah. we mentioned that, you know, Nala starts off the story by lying to make herself look more impressive. So it really shouldn't be too much of a surprise that eventually everything, you know, comes unraveled and her big secrets are revealed to the world. (laughs) Uh, My criticism was that her secret and her lie in the scheme of things, really aren't very big. Now, I know we shouldn't lie. Lying is bad. That is correct. But we are human beings. And we all do it a little bit. And there are the kind of lies that we tell to make ourselves look better. You know, like maybe we um, exaggerate a story a little bit. Maybe we leave parts out of a story in order to make ourselves look better. That's not great. We shouldn't do that. But we're not perfect human beings. And everyone, I feel like, understands this to some extent. I think especially when you're... I think especially when you're meeting a boy, like I think that was a typical thing of high school, right? Like I remember with my husband when I met him at age 15... I remember telling him, like, I loved a certain type of music yeah, when right? I had, like, never heard it before. And I was like, oh, I bought a poster and just stuck it on my wall. And yeah. Oh, like, what are you into? <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, that's so surprising. Who would have, what a coincidence. Yeah. I love that movie. And then, you know, 28 <laughs> years later, and I'm finally like, oh my gosh, I couldn't stand that movie. Why did we watch it? <laughs> and in this specific instance, right, we said Nala exaggerates her yes. experience at the nursing home, right? Like, she describes... She does a lot of good for the she nurse, does. for her grandma and for her grandma's friends. She, you know, does like social activities mm-hmm. with them. She's interested in, you know, like helping them do these projects, like helping them um, like redecorate their community room yeah. the way that they want to. And she's involved in that. And she describes it as, oh, I work there. Yeah. Now, she, you know, double down, doubles down on that lie a little too much. But she doesn't actually hurt anyone. Like, all of the things that she says she does, like, as examples of her, right. you know, helpfulness at her job are all true. She right. has done all she does those them. things. And she did them because she wanted to and she was going to anyway. Yeah. So when it's revealed that, like, oh, you don't actually work there, you just spend time there out of your own volition, like, for no good reason nature? other than you want to, yeah. um, everyone, like, really acts like this is, like, the <laughs> ultimate betrayal. And um, I thought that was a little bit silly. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, like I said, it really, it, no one gets hurt. She she doesn't even really, this is kind of how you would spin the experience on your resume. I know. It's true. If you were taught, you know, if you're, you were filling out a resume and your, or your parents, you know, first time job, I think that people ask you, like, what do you right. volunteer? And, and you do, you kind of <laughs> posh that a little bit so that it puts it in its best light, right? Yeah. So. And the book is really about, Nala finding yes. herself. And it's really so this plot, It's a tiny mess. Right. Yeah. This plot isn't the most important thing to the book. Yeah. But I feel like the fact that her lie and the reveal had yeah. very few consequences kind of made it feel like a little tacked on. Yeah. You know, like stakes weren't very high there. Or a little bit like when, you know, watching Hallmark movies, because I actually watch Hallmark movies. I love them. You know, I can fold laundry. I can play Wordle. I can, you know, scroll through Facebook or aka the meta. And I feel like I'm not really missing any plot points. 
Um, so, but in a Hallmark movie, there's always a misunderstanding or an omitted truth or some type of something in the grand scheme of things that really just some good communication could clear up. And so, you know, uh, but on the flip side, often in a teen life, what is said or not said takes on a life of its own and it can cause emotional turmoil. I, I totally agree. <laughs> and I see your point and I, it is a trope that, you know, happens way too yeah. often. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, come on, have a have a tiny bit of human understanding. <laughs> this is a thing that in real life you'd be mad at. You'd be mad about it for like an hour tops. Yeah. You wouldn't be shutting your phone off. Right. And, you, know, you wouldn't well, be ignoring okay. someone for days. Yeah. Well, I love I love Liz's passion. <laughs> um, I actually, you know, question whether she was on a debate team or participated in mock trial. But she's told me what? No. Huh? No, I've <laughs> never done any of that. I just really love arguing. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not, not even, I don't even need to be that emotionally invested. Uh, I just, I really enjoy arguing. Um, you know, that, you know, that turn of phrase where it's, what is it? Uh, strong opinions loosely held. Yeah. I'm more strong opinions randomly held. Okay. Well, <laughs> I have very strong opinions about things until I don't anymore. You're not alone in that um, big reveal being a little bit of a blip because, mo- you know, I read quite a few reviews and that really was the only minor miss for a lot of readers was that same thing. And they had the same kind of sentiment about it. So, um, and, and so I think you're saying I'm right. I think I'm, I think <laughs> I'm saying you're right, Liz. You're right. Yeah, I am. Another, another miss. Do we have another one? I did. And this one is a little bit meaner. Um, I really, well, it's not that I didn't care for Ty. Mm -hmm. I felt that Ty was a bit bland. He is a sweetie pie on paper, but he is extremely bland. But that's why he needs Nala. But she, she can't be his entire person. I know. Okay. That is true. (laughs) That's true. Um, I mean, this might be a spoiler, but I think you all deserve to know that Ty's favorite color is tan. And I think that really explains all of my problems with him. Um, Tan's not a favorite color. No, it should not be. It's a strange thing to pick as your favorite. And he says it's his favorite because it's neutral. Mm. Um, So, but I, and I just wanted to know more about him. You know, we see him through the lens of like what he does with Inspire Harlem. Mm -hmm. But, and we learn a little bit about like his family, but surely he does other things like everyone does other things you don't just have two things right like you don't just have your family and one club and that's it that's what you do like what else does he do with his free time like what kind of music does he like he surely he has music i don't know because that's true uh, yeah ty also dislikes it when people break into song yeah which is a thing stacy and i would have a very difficult time with. his pet peeve he said it was his pet peeve when um he doesn't like when people randomly start to break out and song out loud and i'm like oh my goodness like that's me all the time like and half the time i'm making up songs too and singing them (laughs) so maybe the reason that i don't find ty so compelling is because i think he would most likely be like secretly judging me if we met yeah. in real life okay. but you know, that's kind sense. of why ty was a miss for me yeah so the the um miss that i did not have down when we were talking before but i've thought about now one thing i actually um when i was reading it that kind of caused me to pause just a tiny bit was with um is it jt jt is the um gentleman that likes nala's grandmother right he lives in that okay nala's grandma's boyfriend yes nala's grandma's boyfriend i like jt so i like jt here's what i don't like jt is not supposed to have a lot of sugar and i'm not sure if it's because he has diabetes or not but i really was like 
we've said it a co- like the book says it a couple times that he's not he's supposed to watch his sugar, not have the sugar. And Nala's like sneaking him ice cream Sundays, and I was just like, mm, his health. I don't know. I just, I mean, again, yeah. it's a small little miss, but I was a little like, hello. No, I got it. Like, he might I, not be able to have that sugar. I get that. He's, you know, he's a grown man who can make his own decisions. But also, what if he dies? <laughs> it's grandma's it was, boyfriend. It, it definitely crossed my mind a few times. <laughs> so that was, that's my tiny little other miss there besides Ty's pet peeve because I love to sing. So, and I can't sing like it sounds terrible, but I love doing it. So, you know, overall though. I thought that this was a very sweet read that embraces love in many forms. You know, I think Nala and Ty is kind of like a, it seems like first time love to me, like in reading this book. You know, yeah. she doesn't mention, uh, you know, I don't think that's why she says she wants to find love. Um, and then there's, of course, the love of family and community and then the loving yourself enough to stay true to who you are. And I, I thought that was wonderful. And so we had a couple of things that, um, you know, we wanted to explore more in depth as we read the book. Um, and so why don't you t- you um, lead us with that, Liz? What did sure. you want to explore more? So, like I said, I'm a setting girl. Um, so, yeah, the thing that really captured my immediate attention was the fact that it was in Harlem. Yep. And they're dealing with all of these social justice issues. So what comes up a lot uh, in conversation are references to the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part of the podcast where I like awkwardly work in the fact that I went to college in New York City and I lived there for nine-ish years. So I love New York and I was very excited um, to learn more about this, one of the most fascinating periods in New York's history. So Harlem is a neighborhood in the north part of Manhattan, which starting like just above Central Park. And it's gone through many, many changes over the years, but it was originally built up as a sort of like a wealthy suburb Mm -hmm. of New York City in the uh, 19th century, but went through many changes as, you know, all of the immigration uh, to the city of New York completely rewrote the map of Manhattan. And in the early 1900s, Harlem became the destination for many black Americans moving uh, north to find work. Conditions in the South after the Civil War um, were obviously still brutal Mm -hmm. and during that time there were also a lot of factors that affected um the cotton crop which disproportionately affected black americans who are now sharecroppers on the land uh where they used to be slaves and so made the situation even more dire and many of them moved north and many of them settled in harlem and so this huge population shift meant that Harlem became this massive cultural mecca. So these incredible writers and poets that you have no doubt heard about in school and hopefully have read some of um, people like Zora Neale Hurston, Langston Hughes, Nella Larson, Gwendolyn B. Bennett, and County Cullen, uh, musicians like Duke Ellington, mm-hmm. Louis Armstrong, Cab Calloway, and Bessie Smith, sociologists and activists like W.E.B. Du Bois and Marcus Garvey. They all lived and worked in this neighborhood, and they all created this incredible body of work, this incredible art uh, that forced the world to take these contributions seriously Mm -hmm. for the first time. And this, I mean, what they created there during this time, it changed American culture forever. So like we said, we were going to come back to County Cullen. Yeah. And... That, as I said, that's the name of one of the branches of the New York Public Library, obviously located in Harlem. And County Cullen himself was this incredibly influential uh, poet during that time. Um, we also hear or see, this is a book, uh, we see Nala wonder about uh, Madam C.J. Walker, whose name comes up. And Madam C.J. Yeah. Walker, 
Um, though not herself uh, super involved in the Harlem Renaissance, she was the first black woman millionaire wow. in uh, the United States. And she had a townhouse in Harlem. And when her daughter inherited that townhouse, she turned it into a like a salon, a big meeting place for all of these huh. artists of that time. Um, and there are so, so many. More. I could go yeah. on about this for a very long time because, like I said, it, the reason that this era was so fascinating is because there were so many individuals doing such incredible work all in one very small geographic mm -hmm. location and time period. So if any of this sounds in any way interesting to you, I would really urge you to go out and do some research on your own and to read or listen to the work of some of the people that I've mentioned, because I really I can't overstate how important the Harlem Renaissance uh, was for just American culture as a whole. Like our culture would in no way be the same without it. And and I think, um, you know, Liz mentioned that you probably heard some of these names in um, in your history lessons at school. But I would beg to, to tell you to research more because I'm sure it's not given. It's due justice in the amount of time to study it in the school yeah. text that, or, or the time period you have in school. I, I'm not sure how much time it's given. So I would say, you know, hey, why don't you visit your library and see uh, <laughs> your local public library and see what they can get you on this and, and really deep dive into um, some great information there. So uh, well done, Liz. Well done. It's so interesting. Yes. I am going to talk about what I always talk about, which is food. <laughs> So Nala shares that her mom and aunts um, came to America when they were teens, I think, um, from Jamaica. And so she also shares that she makes trips to Jamaica to visit relatives. And so she frequently discusses the different food items that are part of that culture. And in particular, there's um, a part in the story where it is 4th of July, because remember, this is summer, and she's celebrating with her family, and she talks about the food that they are having, which which is vastly different than, I think, what, you know, here in New Hampshire, we're probably having on our barbecue for 4th of July. Uh, jerk wings, rice and peas, mac and cheese, fried plantains, curried shrimp, oh, which actually sound awesome. But then she mentions Jamaican Festival. And at first, I'm going, What? You know, there is a little mm -hmm. blip afterwards uh, in the book that gives you um, context to what this is, but it, I, I, I had to look it up because I just really wanted to know, and I had no idea. And so when I looked it up, it is a sweet cornmeal-based dumpling that has an oval shape to it, and it's traditionally served with jerk chicken or um, fish that's topped with onions, bell peppers, carrots, and scotch bonnet peppers. Ooh. A little heat to it. A lot of heat to it, actually. Um, but <laughs> and then burn a, your face off. I love scotch bonnet peppers. And then like a vinegar-type sauce. So I thought that sounded delicious. And then another food item that Nala talks about is cocoa bread. And based on my research in that, I read that this is also a popular bread that's made from coconut milk and flour. And it looks like a type of roll, and it's very, um, like, you know, it has a nice crust on the outside, but the inside's super soft. And I think she even says that when she's biting into it in the story. Uh, it's often split open to hold a meat patty inside, which is exactly how Nala eats it. So I love when, the, the one thing that I'm particularly loving about these Teen books that I've been reading and the different cultures in them is they share so much about the culture, mm -hmm. you know, the foods and um, the clothing and then the, the traditions that they have or just in and even maybe the areas that they've um, grown up in. And I just it's so worth reading. Something yeah. that's outside of what, you know. 
Yes, I 100% agree. I through even just through the food, um, yeah. you get a huge sense of her family and her family's history. Yeah. And then you also get a big sense of, you know, Harlem, the neighborhood where yeah. she lives now. Like she has her favorite ice cream place. Mm-hmm. She goes like to the bodega and gets like a, the bodega being a corner deli. Yep. Um and she gets like a Jamaican beef patty, patty. which is like it's kind of like um I don't know. It's dough and it's got ground beef inside and yeah. it's spiced and uh, it's delicious. It's so but anyway, she talks about. Um, okay, what is it? What? 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 Uh, no, I can't. She's doing hand signals to me and oh, I'm like, oh, what, is what is it? What is so it? What is it? Uh, and for their first date, oh, the Ethiopian, yes. the, the Ethiopian, Ethiopian restaurant, place, which is yeah. interesting because yeah. not a lot of Ethiopian restaurants around New Hampshire. And that yeah. was, again, interesting to learn about. Yeah. Interesting to see them doing these things in their everyday lives. I liked uh, I enjoyed all of that. So um, it's probably about time that we start wrapping it up and, and closing this out and giving a little hint to our next book. So um, are you all ready to hear what we will be featuring next month? So we're, we're embarking on some science fiction. Mm-hmm. Are you Stacey's intrigued? Stacey's branching out. I'm branching out. I am. So, so tune in next month when Liz and I discuss the 2022 Newbery Medal winner, The Last Quintista by Donna Barba Higuera. Are you all excited for some action-packed sci-fi dystopia with vibes of The Giver? Mm. Because I am. Me too. I actually am. I am pretty excited. Okay. Once upon a time, there was there lived a girl named Petra Pena who wanted nothing more than to be a storyteller like her abuelita. Uh, but Petra's world is ending. Earth has been destroyed by a comet, and only a few hundred scientists and their children, among them Petra and her family, have been chosen to journey to a new planet. They are the ones who must carry on the human race. Hundreds of years later, Petra wakes up on this new planet and to the discovery that she is the only person who remembers Earth. A sinister collective has taken over the ship during its journey, bent on erasing the sins of humanity's past. They have systematically purged the memories of all aboard or purged them altogether. Hmm. So now Petra alone carries the story of our past and with them any hope for our future. Can she make them live again? Hmm. Thank you for listening to the Curious Reader Podcast. We are always grateful when you tune in. And don't forget to review us on Podbean or in your favorite podcast app. Your reviews plus liking and subscribing help others discover our podcast. So please click that heart or give us a thumbs up to share the love of reading and discovering something new. And remember, the Curious Reader seeks understanding beyond the book.